The Rice to Ricky Sanchez podcast is presented by DraftKings Sportsbook. Sign up for DraftKings Sportsbook. Download the app. Use promo code RTRS. And brought to you by By Nature Pet Foods. What? Who is mm. that? Well, you got to find out about that. Slow cooking and super fusion. Go to ByNaturePetFoods.com. Click on the Shop Now link. Go to Chewy and use code RTRS20 for 20% off your first order. L.L. Pavorsky Jewelers, where Rice to Ricky Sanchez listeners go and get engaged. And Big Barker Therapeutic Dog Beds. Get yours at bigbarker.com slash Ricky. We are just, there's so much dog shit. Uh, and, uh, oh, and Kinetic Skateboarding. Get 9.1% off your first order with promo code Dave Silver. On the show today, holy shit, we have a sixer schedule. Um, they're going to play in Weird Bubble Land in Orlando, and we have the eight games. We will just go down game by game and break down the entire schedule. Very excited to do it. Um, six years of Joel Embiid as member of the 76ers happened this week. Wow. The, I know, crazy, right? Uh, the team adds an Australian guy who can't dribble but can shoot, apparently. Tobias Harris admits the Sixers didn't have any chemistry this year. And the great Kevin Arnovitz from ESPN and ESPN The Magazine joins us to talk about uh, Ime Udoka, Brett Brown, the Orlando experiment, and lots of other things. So uh, awesome, awesome get getting Kevin Arnovitz on the pod, a real, actual, legitimate basketball writer. We're going to have to have so many different bowlers on to even this out. That's right. right. After this. Um, Mike and Patrick's script for Brotherly Love is on sale now. It's doing great. So thank you for everyone who has purchased it. It is on sale until midweek, the pre-order. Uh, it is a digital copy. It is only $5. Your $5 is then doubled to $10, which goes to the Coded by Kids CBK Academy, which is the online version of Coded by Kids, helping even more kids get coded or learn how to code. And then uh, the uh, Providence Animal turn Center. Turn into the Matrix. Yeah, yeah turn it. <laughs> that's, that's the ultimate goal. That's the goal. They just want to become a bunch of, they want to go from kids into a series of zeros and ones. That's right. And then uh, and the Providence Animal Center Canine College, uh, getting dogs who need uh, behavior training before they can get adopted, getting them that training. So uh, go to writesrickysanchez.com, get you your script. You'll get it uh, midweek. And then Wednesday night, we're going to have Patrick on the pod to talk about it. So yeah. very, 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 very exciting. Oh, yeah. Without any further ado, Amos and the Chef. We will write y'all, we will write, even when it went wrong, we will write, we was right y'all, we will write, so say the name, say the name, we will write y'all, we will write, even when it went wrong, we will write, we will write y'all, we will write, so say the name, say the name, say the name. Welcome to the Rice to Ricky Sanchez podcast. I'm Spike Eskin, along with a guy who booked a guest 
sold his script to hundreds of people, and is unfortunately going to have to watch the Sixers. That is Mike Levin. Sold his script to hundreds of people is one of the saddest things I've ever heard. Of. <laughs> well, well, <laughs> well it, look, if we can get it to a thousand, thousands of people, how would that sound? That'd be nice. Well, it's not selling it. It's, you know, it's, it's, right. it's donating charity. Yeah. Enjoyment. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't expect or really want any of these hundreds of people to be like, here's okay. So here's what we want to happen from this. Or yeah. like, here's the, we have some notes or. Oh, you know. people are going to have fucking notes. Yeah, they have notes. I, yeah. Have your yeah. notes. <laughs> if you want to email uh, some notes. In, oh, by the way. Yeah, email well, some yeah. notes. Yeah, pay, go <laughs> do some line notes, please, if you don't mind. Can we make this more of a moment? Uh, yeah. would, he, would he really say something like this? That kind of, that kind of stuff. <sighs> um, I thought it was a good Apple Podcast five-star review this week. Um, they've been picking up. Uh, we are at 2,689. We get to 3,000. I read all the reviews on a pod. This came from Philip. Philip. Uh, the subject line is Spike and Mike have daddy issues. We will make the podcast brought to you by Kinetic Skateboarding, uh, who have a vegan New Balance shoe up there. Um, ben from Kinetic is vegan, always points out when they put some sneaks up there that don't have any leather on there. So go to uh, kineticskateboarding.com, use promo code Dave Silver for 9.1% off your first order. Uh, I really enjoyed the Father's Day podcast, but it made me realize something. Spike and Mike's entire personalities are a direct result of their father's. Spike clearly has daddy issues. He went into the same industry as his father and tries to make him proud. However, he conducts himself in such a way to create the opposite persona of his dad. Mike, on the other hand, is his father. Won't ever say anything negative about his sons. Mike's sons are Shake Milton and Matisse Thibel. And now it's clear Mike gets his obsession with defense from his father, who claims his own game centers around defense. Spike has daddy issues in trying to eclipse his father in his own industry and Mike loves his daddy so much, he is him. It's an issue. Grow up. Grow up. <laughs> That's hard. So the schedule comes out yesterday, last night, for the Sixers as they do their big uh, unveil. And I think it was like two or three hours later that I was sitting there. I was excited. And then I was sitting there, and I looked at it, and I was like, oh, holy fuck. We're going to have to watch all these Sixers games again. It's been such a relief um, all this time to not watch the games. But here they are, a bunch of games. Um, the schedule actually looks kind of easy, but there's a bunch of games that I feel like we're going to lose. Oh, so. yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, what a, what, a, what a piece of cake schedule that we will go two and six for. Yeah. I was going to ask you, four and, over under four and a half wins, you would go the under, right? Oh, my God. Absolutely. So, so it's mean, like I'm just I'm looking at San Antonio and just seeing like Bryn Forbes goes off for 36 points. Well, San Antonio is going to fucking obliterate us. <laughs> and and like I just I, I feel like the Sessnick's like, revenge game, Fultz yeah. revenge game, oh, Portland needs revenge for the Corkmont shot. Yep. Phoenix revenge game, Devin Booker. Uh huh. Sure. Toronto. Revenge even we'll, if there's we'll no be revenge. T- we'll be Toronto. We'll, we'll be Toronto like 88 to 86. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the Covington Revenge and game, Covington obviously, to wrap it up. So it starts August 1st at 7 o'clock at night. They play Indiana, TJ Revenge game, Brogdon Revenge game. Uh, <laughs> and then they play one back-to-back. Now that they don't have to travel for I guess for making it, enemies league-wide may, may, might have been a bad move on our part. <laughs> Do, or on our part or on their part? Or on, I, I, guess I, I think part. both of us. That's We're yeah. of equal blame there. Yeah. Uh, well, the Brogdon one, I think we can just sort of own. Yeah. I think. I that's don't right. think that's anyone's fault but ours. That's right. Uh, 
so it starts on August 1st at 7 o'clock. This is it. I, I was thinking as well when we're doing this, this is usually the time, because I was looking at rights to Ricky Sanchez, like download stats from uh, like last year. And, and by the way, thank you to everyone. We're actually going to have, uh, <laughs> we're going to have more downloads in June than we had in uh, uh, like March, April, May, June, July, August, September, October, and November of, of 2019, uh, all separate, which is unbelievable. Wow. But I was looking and I was like, why is August so low? I was like, oh, that's when we took our vacation was in August. We, we, like, we took some time off and uh, there's nothing th- going those on. Those are two weeks. What a nice two weeks. Yeah, and and so we're going from an August where we literally had so little to talk about, we didn't do anything uh, to give ourselves a break, and now we're going to have uh, eight games in fifteen days, yeah. um, leading right up to the playoffs. It's so wild to think about that we're going to have playoffs in in August. It is crazy. Um, I don't. Uh, I put it in my calendar, and every every game with a question mark. Sixers, Pacers, Sixers, Spurs. Every time, you know, it's just, I don't. It seems a little. It still to me seems a little like, uh, you know, my my girlfriend from overnight camp. Oh man, or my girlfriend in Ohio. Yeah. Um, the well, you know, one thing I I think we've um, and there's no there's no real way to like figure this out. But one thing I've been noticing about the way that people talk about this is like is is humans' inability to properly assess risk is something that like I, I feel like we we used to make fun of football coaches for all the time for not going for it on fourth down. Um, and in that they would always think about the potential like, well, what if I don't get it? As opposed to like all of the other things, if what if I don't try it, right? And I think one thing that that we don't really um, that I think the the virus in general has um, has made us has made it hard to figure out because obviously getting sick and dying is like fucking awful uh, and the virus does do that, is what the risk of playing is versus what the risk of not playing is. And like the risk of not playing, of course, uh, like the financial upheaval of not playing and the related industries and the jobs and the like, you know, and when we talk about jobs, we talk about money, we talk about industries, we talk about like rent and food and healthcare and like, and it's not just people that work for the teams, right? It's like every related industry and the, like the butterfly effect of all of it. And um, it is for that reason that I am like glad that they are trying it. Um, and obviously we have no idea how it's going to go. Um, but I, I think like sometimes we we don't really think about what happens if we don't try it and what happens if it does work as opposed to what happens if something goes wrong. And it's sort of like the same, we don't do the math of like what the odds are. I, every day I drive, I get furious because I look at people driving next to me and they're texting. Like, and it, it's like horrifying, right? And we don't really do the math of what the odds are that we're gonna die getting into the car every day with those people. Um, because I'm sure there's some math, right? Like there's some, there's like, like the likelihood of us dying today while driving because of that feels higher to me than it did 20 years ago, maybe. I don't know. Um, so I guess that's all I would say is that like I, I, I think about all of the people who, who could go through hardship if they don't do this. 
Um, and uh, I recognize that, I guess. And um, I would thank the players for doing this, you know, for the ones who are agreeing to do it. And obviously their financial stability moving forward, some of whom don't even have a, a guarantee of a job next year, you know, as a player, um, that is meaningful to them. And I, I guess they're doing it for them, obviously, as well. But I, sometimes I, I don't think we think about what happens if they don't do it and the ripple effects of that. Yeah, I, I hear that. Right. I totally mm -hmm. hear that. There's there's certainly business implications for not just the CBA, but, you know, wide ranging. Yeah. Um, but the it's hard to assess risk when we don't have remotely close to all the facts. Um, mm -hmm. And we don't know what this virus does to your respiratory system months, years down the road. Like it for could sure. yeah. like Alyssa made the point. Like, ask Chris Bosh what, like, a blood clot does to your yeah. career because mm -hmm. he's not playing anymore. And so yeah. if that if that's the kind of thing that this happens to and all of a sudden, like, you know, Jokic and Buddy Heald and Jabari Parker, whatever, their careers are just like, hey, you can't play anymore because you got this virus and you're at risk of, you know, dying from a blood clot or something like that. Who knows? Um, it's hard to assess risk knowing that. I think because Absolutely. we've been driving on the road for you know, hundreds of years, uh, over a hundred years now, like we have a pretty good sense of like what's going to happen there. But if they, if there, if there became some study that was like, you know, driving turns you blind and if you do <laughs> for something like then to be like, all right, well that would change my level of risk assessment of what I would want to do there. Man, between driving and masturbating and that I wouldn't be able to do, I would just be in a, a lot of trouble between wow. no, uh, the blindness that, that could be caused by both. Jesus Christ. There's no way to know. Yeah. But yeah, so I, yeah, I, 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 obviously everybody's trying, everybody's doing this thing, but like you look around the world and you see where the, like how much art, like how much like France and Italy and Spain, et cetera, have like gotten control of this thing. And the fact that we are going back up in so many places, including the place where this is going to be held. I, it's just really, really scary and the lack of leadership, the lack of like, you know, you know, people talk about unity like it's this rah-rah term, but like we should be, you know, wearing masks, taking precautions because it saves other people's lives, not just because it saves your own. Sure. Um, and not to say that these players or anybody, because I'm not just blaming the players because plenty of people aren't taking it as seriously as they should, but like whether the player, if, if a player is like, you know, going to an open gym in Chicago where they live um, versus going to Orlando and doing it there, there's not much difference, right? So you may as well do it when you're trying to play. But there, I'm sure there are some players who really are taking it seriously, who are, mm -hmm. you know, caring about it because whether, whether they have, uh, you know, they live, say they live with their parents or older people like in their lives that they're con more concerned about that are more at risk. Not to say that people in their 30s or 40s aren't, but like, I think it's different. It's different. Yeah. yeah. It's, so, it's, yeah, it's so different. yeah. So I, I totally hear the idea of like, well, let's just weigh the risk and there is risk on both sides. But because we don't have all the information, it's hard to do that. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. And, 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 and for what it's worth, even when it's not hard, I don't think we actually know. I don't think we actually compute that ever in our brains. Like mm -hmm. it, like that's the hard part of it. So we will, um, I look, like, look, I, I know that the players are, are playing for them by and large, but like, I'm glad that they're giving it a try. 
um, and we'll see what happens. And, and hopefully they are able to mitigate uh, as much risk as they can. I will tell you this, compared to every other sport so far, the NBA is far and away um, doing the most to yeah. um to do that so so over and over under four and a half wins you're going under i'm going under and i'm hoping for under because i re- i really need that okc pick i yeah. really do if if <laughs> if this is some elaborate ruse to what like, what happens if they play like th- three games and then like a ton of teams get it and they're like fuck this spiraled out of control we gotta we gotta bail do those three games like count and if those mm. three games drop okc under the Shit, thing, yeah. like where do we call it? It's very oh bizarre. God. It's like, did you ever play? So I went to day camp for twelve years, and there, we played softball. Mm-hmm. We played a ton of sports, obviously, but like softball was like the sport for like when you're like twelve or thirteen or whatever. And there's there's like no there's no innings. You don't play by innings. You play by time. And so, and I guess this is the same thing with little league. But I remember it specifically at camp when it's like okay. We're up by two runs in the fifth. Let's really like slow down so that they can't like they can't bat again. You know you what I mean? Play by time? Yeah, because in, it's like, the, it's like periods. You have like oh. you know you're figuring like softball's like sixth period or whatever, and so it's I like okay, so if, if the if the game ends by this certain point, then they, they can't finish the inning. Then it's yeah. So it's like there's like the, the gamesmanship there, and so that's what it, that's what it feels like if like if we play three games, it's like okay, just end end this end this game end now. <laughs> the pick, the so pick is good. We're good. Uh, and you know what's going to be fucking crazy is in October, instead of talking about the start of a season, we will be doing podcasts about the draft, which is fucking wild. Yeah. Um, over under six, six and a half points that they lose to Phoenix by. <laughs> <laughs> mm. uh, I think it'll be closer than that. Yeah, I do too. Um, and okay, so finally, you know, all I did was read your tweets and like fucking Google them. I had no idea who Ryan Brokoff was. You did? Sixers. Nah, I never he went, heard of him. He went off against us one game. I figured you would remember. Uh, I, I don't remember him. Uh, white guy, Australian guy, sharp shooter, can't dribble. Uh, any Anything else otherwise to know yeah, about? Yeah, well, it's, he's so he's 29. Uh, not exactly yeah. an upside play, but uh, I think they just wanted like a like an adult in the room. Um, he's Australian, but he went to he played four years of college at uh, Valparaiso, okay. um, which is a fun college, and there haven't been many pros from there lately. Uh, he broke his leg in. In January, so that's Yikes. why Dallas had to release him, and they, mm-hmm. uh, I think they released him to make room for Michael Kidd Gilchrist. Um, okay, and so oh, now that there's, it, like I think they thought his season would be over, but now that it's gone long enough, I I guess he's healthy. I don't, I haven't seen a any like indication of that one way or the other. Um, and James Herbert, friend of the pod, James Herbert reminded me that because because Dallas signed Trey Burke, this was basically just a Trey Burke for a Ryan Brokoff trade, which is fun. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, in terms of right. game, wait, sorry. In terms of game, um, he's got a—he's just a shooter. Like he straight up like runs around screens, really high release point, and gets it off quick. In the same way that like like Covington's shot didn't get off quick, but he but he shot it high. Like um, Bertans, not as not as much like not as like wild. Just way worse. Just not nearly as good. Yeah, I mean, I think it's I think he's more of like a facsimile of like Duncan Robinson, where he's okay. just running things off. He's big enough to because Duncan Robinson is pretty. Like bigger than yeah. the like you know JJ or whatever, um, and so Brokoff's running around screens, spotting up in the corner, and he if you watch highlights of him, it's just like he's getting that ball off really quick and he's getting it off high and he's six seven so he's capable of doing it and um, yeah I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't take a two point shot with the Sixers like a single one 
Can I tell you my dream? My dream is somehow I want, here's what I want to see a lineup. Brett, if you're listening, you're probably not. You probably don't even, I bet Brett has never listened to a podcast ever in his whole life. But if, uh, if you're listening, I'm going to see a lineup with Simmons and Bede, Korkmaz, Shayok, Brokoff. <laughs> this is, yeah. I was wondering, so we talked about a two-way spot last time. Yeah. And I was wondering, like, well, maybe they go another guard in case they want somebody. And nah, going to dribble? Yeah, no, nobody yeah. to dribble. But to go Brokoff instead of, instead of that kind of player, I think it means, I'm taking it as mean two things. They don't have any faith in Shayok, which I get. He's is a rookie on a two-way deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and they do have faith in Shake. That is the positive I'm taking from this, is that mm-hmm. if they think that they're actually going to play him a lot of minutes, which I hope so. And, and Neto is fine. You know, Neto's going to play every game. Like, he's going to play three minutes, he's going to do one great thing, and then he's going to like, turn the ball over twice, and Brett's going to bench him. We'll never see him again. Um, I but, fucking love Shayok, by the way. I just wish... I know, man. Yeah. I, just, I know it's slow, but he's got a high release, and he, he just doesn't need any room. And I just, I would, I just, I just want... A six threes in one quarter from Shayok, just one time yeah. in the end. You're not getting that. Yeah. You're not getting that. Uh, I mean, I mean, I'm not not to say next year he's not gonna play a little bit more. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I, it's interesting. I I, th- I saw people kind of dismissing this as just like whatever. He's a guy to have on the bench, but I I think that he's good enough. Like he was in the Mavs rotation for a couple of years. He's good enough to at least be considered to play over. Like Glenn Robinson, Alec Burks, Mike Scott, like in that mix, you know, I think they're going to play Matisse a lot. I think Brett will probably have a quitty, pretty short leash with him uh, in this in this circumstance. Korkmaz is definitely going to play. Shake will obviously play. So, I, but in that like, G. Rob, Burks, Mike Scott, if, if people are missing shots, I think I think Brokoff will have a will have a real shot to play, especially because Brett is going to coach him on the Australian national team with with Bend. So just I, a. A quick reminder that Alec Burks and Glenn Robinson III are on the Sixers. Totally. Just a quick, totally a quick on the team. reminder for everyone. Totally on the team. Uh, uh, and it's good to have a uh, Jonah Bolden replacement as a, another yeah. Aussie for Ben. ben to, um, a uh, reminder from, and by the way, many Australians inviting us to come for Fly the Process to see um, to see Brian Colangelo's Ilahara uh, Hawks, which are, <laughs> they're changing the name. It's not going to be Ilahara anymore. So... Um, I don't know. They're going to play in different home places, whatever. What a fucking fraud. Okay, so before we get to Kevin Arnovitz, I want to talk about the anniversary of Joel Embiid, drafted six years ago yesterday. First of all, it's fucking crazy he's been on the Sixers for six years. Insane. Really insane. Right? Do you have one particular Joel Embiid memory that sticks out in your brain as your favorite one? Mm-hmm. I do, but I don't know if you do. The of a play, it's weird. Like the, the Joe thing, the first thing that comes to mind with me for Joel on the court is him like being happy for other people. Mm-hmm. The the TJ game winner when like he chased him down and choked him. Three or the when Ben shot the three. Right. When Dario had those two blocks against the Raptors in the same possession, and Joel. Uh, Grabbed yeah. his ass from the sideline. Fultz um, had a triple double. When Fultz had all of it, yeah, it's he gets so much happier for other people, and I think that's really nice. And I think that's kind of what we haven't seen as much this year. Um, 
his like I remember very clearly the first bucket against the Thunder. Yeah. Um, I remember the the chase down block on on uh, well on LeBron, and then on did he chase down block Harden at the or is that just a at the rim? There was there was a Westbrook chase down block also. Mm-hmm. He hates Westbrook. Yeah, for sure. I I would say. And it was probably because I was there with it, with the uh, the Spike Lee of the Right Ricky Sanchez podcast, Mike Weber of the Mike Weber Memorial Band List. Uh, but that, I don't even know if it was the first bucket for me as much as the first shot. Because the first shot, I believe, was a three, wasn't it? Um, uh, again, like just the, 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 the juice in the building for him playing a regular season game was just amazing. And I remember him yelling toward the end of the game about Steven Adams, like something to the effect of he can't fucking guard me. Like Steven Adams, a monster of a human being, like just an enormous, huge monster of a human being. Um, Quick couple of and beat over unders Uh, in the next next six years. First of all, will he play six more years? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Will... At least one season, will he average at least 37% from three? Absolutely. At least one season, will he average at least 26.5 points per game? Ooh. I think one season. I think for the most part, he'll be, you know, a few points lower than that. But I think mm-hmm. one season, he'll, he'll decide to be, like... Wilt-esque. I'm going to... I want to get the scoring title as a center. When's the last time, like, a center has... Has been the scoring leader. Uh, at least one season, will he play at least 70 games in one season? Uh, no. <laughs> and that, that would be a positive for you. Maybe choose not to play yeah. 70. Will, so he can't win MVP if he doesn't play 70 games, I don't think. Um, so that gets rid of that one. And final question, at least one time in the next six years... Will Joel Embiid start an entire season with a point guard who shoots three-pointers? Does that include, like, Shake? Sure, anyone. But they have to be announced as point guard. Oh, wow. No. I mean, like, shoots three, like, it's going to be Ben. I think it's going to be Ben. Mm -hmm. So, I don't know. Okay. I don't know. I just want them to be happy. Can't they just just be happy together? I just want everyone to be happy. I just. I I don't want everyone to be happy. I want... Because that there's people have conflicting ideas of happiness. I want <laughs> Embiid and Simmons to be happy and be happy together. The Rice Ricky Sanchez podcast is brought to you by our new sponsor. If you're on YouTube, you can see it right now. You can watch the podcast, by the way, on YouTube now. By nature, slow cooked superfood, pet food. Wow. So the just uh, rolling in heavy hitter after heavy hitter of just monster monster sponsors that well, we love they have been withheld withholding yep. any of their sponsorship from any other podcast. Yep. Um, so by nature, CEO by nature is a Ricky listener. What's up, Michael? Um, a lot of pet foods out there. It's a confusing thing. Pet food is is a pretty like actually I found on the internet. Pet food is a pretty sensitive subject. We're going to make this less tough. With the dog beds, with Big Barker, we were like, what's the best dog bed? It's Big Barker. That's the only option. The best pet food is by nature. Um, And trust me when I tell you, because if I have to give it to Rebel, not only do I have a million questions, Val has a million questions. 
I gave them fucking a million questions. I made them do. I had an hour long conference call with with Michael and Cecilia from By Nature. So here are the differences in it and, and why it's better. First of all, it is slow cooked in small batches. And this is very big because when food is cooked slow, it retains more nutrients than if it is like cooked really, really fast. Mm. And all by nature is slow cooked in small batches. And why is this good for your pet? Well, better immune system support, better skin and coat support, better heart and, and brain support, hip and joint health. They and we're, you know we're already all about hip and joint health. Re, yes, we've been about that for fucking years now. Um, and they, they even like, there was a study at Kansas State that even validated that the slow cooking does that. Another great thing, this pet food, uh, By Nature, the company that owns By Nature, is a third generation owned and operated family business. So they've been around for four, 40 years and they've never had a recall on any of their pet foods. And if you are, again, if you're a pet owner and you buy pet food all the time, you'll realize that is super rare. Even the pet food that you like and that you believe in has probably had a recall. They've never had a recall, which is crazy. Wow. And, and then there's what by nature calls- That's a little bit like never making a mistake. And that's yes, a lot of, a lot, in a lot of the ways, similar to us as a <laughs> podcast. Never had a prediction wrong. Never Pink been yes. wrong about an evaluation. Yep. Um, and then finally, superfusion. So what they call superfusion is um, like premium proteins. And when you look at the, like I invite you to look at the ingredients of By Nature Pet Foods. And the first thing is always the animal protein. And like, and that you'll, if you've bought pet food before, you have to, you know that if the first thing isn't that, then you're not getting high quality ingredients. So premium, premium proteins, super ingredients, super probiotics, Apple cider vinegar, spinach, blueberries, ginger, coconut oil, all used to make this. Mm. It's suitable for dogs of all ages and all sizes. Um, so they went and they, like the AAFCO dog food ha has a, like a nutrient profile for all stages of life and all breeds. And this pet food, you don't have to worry about, oh, I have a small dog, oh, I have a big dog, just go by nature. And they won the Pet Business Award Pet, Mag Pet Business Magazine Award for Top Dog and Food Cat Lines in 2019. So we have a special deal for you. Go to ByNaturePetFoods.com, or you can just go to Chewy. And it's By Nature um, B-Y, right? B-Y. Yes. They're not, I mean, they might be B-I, but I, I don't know. Oh, I was I, even I thinking B-U-Y. Oh, right. By Nature. B-Y NaturePetFoods.com. But it's not. Yes. It's B-Y. It's not. Or you can just go to Chewy.com, but go to ByNaturePetFoods.com, hit the Shop Now button, and then hit Chewy. And if you use code RTRS20 at Chewy, you'll get 20% off your first purchase of By Nature Pet Foods. So use code RTRS20. You can just go to Chewy.com, search By Nature Pet Foods. This is the one that Rebel likes. Um, he's a big salmon guy. We got him off of chicken because he might have been allergic to fowl, chicken and turkey and all that stuff. So uh, Rebel's a salmon guy, but whatever you want, Go to Chewy.com, search for By Nature, go, use code RTRS20 for 20% off your first purchase of By Nature Pet Foods. Fucking love it. Super fusion, um, slow cooking. Love, I want to eat it. My food doesn't even seem as good. Can we eat it? But, you could. I mean, oh, I want to I I find out, All right. and then we'll can do I, a thing. Oh, can you watch Oh, me you're doing this? it right now. I thought we were going to do yeah. a whole thing. Nah, I'm going to do it. So I'm going to eat. It might be just something. safe to check. 
Oh, yeah, he's I'm doing sure it. Oh, wow. He's chewing. He's chewing. Seems pretty nature -y. He's a vegan anyway, it. so it's about the same. Oh, shit. I'm a vegan that has salmon. Wow. I broke the vegan there. Live on tape. It tastes like a, a cracker. It's good. I see why Rebel likes it. And this, right, is, and this is the kind of things you can get from our YouTube channel. <laughs> by Nature Pet Foods. Uh, thank you for being a sponsor. All right. Um, welcome, Kevin Arnovitz, ESPN, ESPN the Magazine, Pack Your Knives podcast. Thanks for, uh, thanks for coming on with us, man. Thanks for having me. I've, I've been an admirer from afar for quite a while. What is it about... Let, let, just prove some process bona fides here. Like, talk to me about your relationship with the Sixers as sort of like a, like a, like a distant flame that you're kind of intrigued by over the last few years. I mean, I, I was intrigued by the whole experiment because, you know, the problem was not that Hinky was wrong. The problem is he was right, and the fact that he was just perverting the incentive structures in the league was, like, fascinating. Nobody ever does that. Everybody is afraid of losing their jobs in the league. I mean, that's essentially the animating principle or motivation for everyone in the league, player, broadcaster, coach, GM, everybody operates on a fee. It's like the wire, right? Like it's within the institution. Can I preserve myself and my vocation? And I will do things that actually compromise best practices or kind of what I think should happen or what I know should happen. And like the fact that he said, fuck it, you know, what was interesting. And there was this interesting opposition too. And I, I remember doing this podcast after he got fired with, with Pablo. And I'm not trying to sanctify Sam Hinkie. I, I, you know, He's a person. You're already on hallowed ground, Kevin. Yeah. Right. But, but my, my point is it was like also I got additionally animated by the opposition. It was this bizarro like coalition of jocks and DSA guys. Right. <laughs> by the way, nothing against much of the platform of both. I mean, I, I'm not I'm not making value judgments about the politics themselves. I'm just saying that this sort of opposition of of the jocks who liked seeing him drop his tray in the cafeteria and, you know, the, the boys who just felt like he was this embodiment of Bain Capital and, and, and sort of data-driven efficiency. And I get both, but I just thought that, again, in a league where, that is so milquetoast, that actually a league that's not as interesting as we like to think it is, to be honest, that was interesting. I, you know, it's funny you mentioned the, uh, the, the other side, obviously, and we, we battled with them every single day but sometimes i wonder what would have happened if our side didn't exist like almost like it i watched the i'm i've become obsessed in the last year with watching the division of people on the internet and that like the need to create two sides of every story and then and then the, the hard-headed battle between the two sides and i think sometimes and obviously we were responsible at least locally for the deification of Sam and what he was doing. Sometimes I wonder if we had not created this one side, if the other side would have just gotten bored. You know, if if part of that negative feedback on what he was doing was due to the overwhelmingly positive feedback that that the side that believed in what he was doing was giving it. So this is really larger question because one of the great political debates, and I don't want to get into politics on this platform, is, hey, to the extent that the resistance acts, animates the way it does, does it reinforce 
the guy who's in office and vice versa to the extent mm -hmm. that the, the, the sort of the yahoos on that side you know get out there and amplify their message does it then reinforce the manichaean split i mean this is this is a battle older than time right i mean and you know i don't know i, I think that's a really good question what i liked about you guys is <laughs> there wasn't a self-seriousness to it you were right but there was a little kitsch and I like that, like that you were, there was a self-awareness to the performance. And I don't want to say performance in the sense that you guys were playing a role because you didn't believe what you were actually saying. You were just doing it to needle. Uh, actually, what it didn't even exist as another side yet. Um, but I, I liked I always admired there was a fourth wall to fandom that you guys were tearing down that I appreciated <laughs> it. You were acutely aware of the dynamics themselves, not just the rhetoric. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's definitely true. We lean into it. Like, don't you get this has been part of our way in. You know, it's part of the, the, the toll booth guy waiting up front. He's like, wait a minute. Do you get that we're just making fun of ourselves too? No? All right. You're not allowed in. So. Because uh, to your point earlier, the defining quality of the era is self-seriousness. When you talk yeah. about that sort of like the two sides, what do they, they share something in common, which is an irrational belief in their seriousness. And, yeah. and, and, and by the way, that, that stretches beyond sports or politics or anything else, right? Like, like this divine belief in your seriousness. Uh, and by the way, I'm, I'm not exactly like a cut-up kind of guy. I'm not a spitballer from the back of the room. My, my work in this area has tended to be serious. So I'm not acting as if, you know, I, I don't play into that, that I don't have self-seriousness or self-import either. But, like, maybe that's why I was so enamored with you guys, because it was just like, man, I, I kind of wish I could do it as freely as you. Like, I, I wish I could... I could embody conviction and self-deprecation together, like authority and lightheartedness. Like what you guys do as a voice is very unique. Like, I mean, whether it's in comedy, whether it's in sports or politics, uh, you know, and I don't mean to DFI you guys, but I just, I've always loved the particular cocktail you're serving. I, I think it was, at least for the hinky part, I think it was partly that we had just sort of separately watched 10-ish years of like the Iverson after the like post Iverson into like pre-Hinky of just like the most useless basketball team of all time with with absolutely nothing going for it and so when you when you're in such a place of just like nothing matters we're we are going we are from like the seventh to the tenth seed and we're going to lose in the first round unless every one of the Bulls gets hurt it just was like, well, nothing matters. What are we doing? And so then this thing came around, and it became kind of the just at the right time for us to, I guess, maximize the the. Well, that that we know that didn't work, so yeah. let's go forward with something else in that way. I I also think one thing that I tell Mike all the time is that uh, the the podcast itself, at least us, is not really about the Sixers. It's about Mike and I's journey through watching the Sixers. <laughs> And like it, it allows us to be like. Whereas you, Kevin, are like seen as an expert, we are just seen as ourselves. And I, I think to a certain extent, it allows us to be self-deprecating because no one is confused about like what our our knowledge is about the sport. We just watch it like everybody else does. Whereas like you are seen as somebody who actually knows things, we are seen as exactly the opposite. <laughs> so you know, it's but I don't I think you sell yourself short in this in this sense. You know, you guys have events that feature Elton Brand, that feature key principles from the Sixers. And I'll be honest with you, I think you get more stuff out of them than I do. 
I think you get more stuff out of them than the so-called experts. Uh, you know, I used to kind of dabble with the podcasting on the, you know, the true hoop. I'd have my day and I'd bring on a coach or I'd bring on a GM or maybe I'd get a player. And like, there's nothing going on there. You know, maybe, you know, if it's a guy like Daryl who kind of will just open up because he's in, you know, the give no fuck stage or whatever, you know, maybe you get something remotely interesting. But the irony is, is for all of your so-called lack of expertise, like, I think you get to truths that, frankly, those of us who are so-called experts can't. I think it might help that there's thousands of people screaming at them sometimes. Yeah, that's what we do. Yeah, we we we, we pressure them by having people uh, cheer for after everything that they say, so they feel a little confident <laughs> afterwards. Are you, uh, Kevin? Are you going to Orlando? Probably not. Uh, I mean, a I, I think that inner circle that that tier one or whatever is going to be very limited. I don't know that I would even be eligible. Uh, I mean, I, I think there are probably better workhorses at my place to go than me. Um, and that said, it's funny, I, I have a morbid curiosity. So of course I want to go for that reason alone. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I think my problem is, is once I, if I were there, assuming I even, you know, got a call to go, like, what am I going to get? I mean, right. you're talking to people in the league, even if you're in that inner circle, it's like hotel, bus arena by the way you will not sidle up to a player you will not have coffee with an assistant coach on the off day to get good information like you were essentially i mean it, it gets to a point where other than the spectacle and, and by the way i'm not like a guy who's going to write the media story right here i am in the bubble boy is it crazy being a writer and you know i'm not david foster <laughs> wallace on a cruise ship you know so <laughs> I, it, it's like what am i going to get and i i don't i don't think i'm interesting i, I don't put myself in my work i i don't I'm not interesting. And, and so I'm, I would be apprehensive because I, my, my greatest terror is disappointing my editors. And I'm going to write the great life inside the bubble from the POV of this player and this secondary player and this coach. And, and it's like at the end of the day, I'm not going to get that. I could probably get it and just report it from my desk in Los Angeles. I mean, I probably right. have a better chance of actually just getting somebody on the phone. So... I don't think I'll go largely because I don't think I'll, I'll be tabbed, but I also I, I'm becoming increasingly of the belief that I wouldn't get what I want other than the pleasure of saying I got to witness this up close and boy was it weird, yet it was the most unique setting that the NBA has ever been in the most unique event and so there's a sticker on your suitcase that's kind of cool. Exactly. Yeah. If, if you find, you know, it'd be reporters getting to uh, show the picture of Will holding the 100 piece of paper yeah. and say <laughs> right. I was there for that. It's going to be Mickey Mouse holding like a, you know, eight games picture. That's what it's going to be. We, we have an 18 year old writer named Adam that works for our site. And like, I'm, I'm, I know it won't happen, but the idea of sending him into the bubble to do exactly what you're saying you don't <laughs> want to do is actually my goal. I just want to know what food is in the bubble. You know, I just want to know. Um, you, you mentioned something about not being able to get close to a player. And I, I think this is one thing that people have not talked about very often that is going to be the reality of sports, assuming they are played in 2020 at least. And what we talk about a lot is that the fans will not be there and how that will change the game. But what we don't talk about very often is that the ability for the media to get, because a lot of what we talk about is not the game, right? It's the stories behind the game. And the ability of the media to get close to the players and the coaches and to get that story behind the game will be severely hampered in the next six, 12 months, whatever. 
And I, I know it sounds like self-aggrandizing as, as media to say that that will be important and that will really change things, but I think that will be important and really change things more than people guess. You can get people on the phone, but that's definitely harder and you already have these relationships. So I guess that's a long way of asking, how much do you think the inability of press to get to players, to get to coaches, is going to change the coverage and the information that we get while this is the way it is. Yeah, I've been thinking about this a lot because, I mean, first let me offer the disclaimer that uh, the, the plight of sports writers and sports media people is not important in the grand context of the world, right? For we're, sure. We're expendable. I don't feel sorry for myself. <laughs> um, it, is, it is merely, it is a job, and like many jobs in, in, in sort of this world, they're increasingly expendable and you know can be shipped wherever that said i think covid is part of this great confluence which also includes the players ability to transmit their stories without us i don't think we matter anymore and uh in many respects and one of my great worries is yes i mean i think it was david aldridge who might have said or i forget who it was who said you know we might never go into a locker room again and i think that's very likely because, I mean, Michelle Roberts as recently as two years ago was saying, I mean, what, what exactly are we doing in there? And I think when you combined the pandemic and the risk assumed by having people in close quarters and sticking a microphone in someone's face and, and the scrum itself is sort of, I mean, you think the scrum, which has been second in nature since the beginning of time, you know, within the lens of, you know, the coronavirus, it's like, are you guys freaking crazy? And then you combine you know what, how many athletes really need us? It used to be that, you know, other than maybe a core group of superstars, if, if somebody wanted to tell their story, hey, I'm an interesting, I'm the thinking man's basketball player and I'm the fourth option on this good team, but nobody really knows about me because unless I'm in SI, which comes to your mailbox weekly, or unless I'm in the local press, um, you know, or unless I'm a feature at halftime, which I'm not going to be, I need someone to do a Sunday feature on me in the Philly Inquirer, in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, you know, uh, in the Chicago Tribune. And they don't need that anymore. If a ball player wants to convey something to the world, and I'm not even just talking about LeBron James, like Danny Green will have a podcast, right? Um, you know, Serge Ibaka will have a cooking show. He doesn't need me. You know, he doesn't need us. And I don't think that's good or bad. It just is. But I think when you combine that with the coronavirus, where you're talking about with the, with the sort of social media aspect, you're talking about figurative proximity. And now with the coronavirus, you're talking about literal proximity. Like, I shouldn't be near this guy. Like, in January, I hung out with Andre Iguodala for a full day in an office, at a meeting. I, I, I shadowed him. I went to the gym where he was working out. We hung out. We sat within two feet of each other. And this was for a feature. I don't know that I'll ever be able to do that again. Like, I literally don't know that that will ever, unless it's a, a player who really trusts me or I built up equity with, how do you build up equity? Well, you cover them in close proximity for many years. Like, I think there will always be some journalists because of their relationships, whether they're with agencies or whatever, will have better proximity and good for them. Like, to use whatever tool you need to get. But I think for a lot of us, those days are over. And yeah, I can do a palace intrigue in this front office. But by the way, that's harder to do when you can't spend two or three years schmoozing up somebody pre-game at 545 on the sideline. 
Um, and again, I don't present this as a tragedy. This isn't a complaint. Because you know what? Maybe they're right. Maybe they're right. You know, expendability is expendable. Nobody ever moans about the death of vaudeville theater, right? Like certain forms and like disappear. Like that's part of the modern world. You can get better entertainment than going to your, your little shtetl theater on the Lower East Side and watching these like, you know, crazy Jews prance around on the stage, right? Like there's better entertainment now. Um, like no one ever says, God, we really miss that. And, and maybe we're vaudeville. And, and so I have been thinking about this somewhat fatalistically, again, not with any like, oh, woe is me, just as, hey, 2025, we might be having a different conversation, you know, about, hey, remember those days between 1978 and, and 2000? Ten, and then the bloggers came in, and it was a little different. And then IG came, and they didn't really need us. And yeah, like we'll be talking with great nostalgia. At least those of us who are sports writers. I mean, the you know couple thousand of people who do this for a living. And then, but no one else is really going to care. We take a break from the pod to talk about our other dog sponsor. Who would have thought when we started this years ago we would have multiple dog sponsors? <laughs> Big Barker Therapeutic Dog Beds. Thank you, Big Barker, for getting us ingratiated into the dog community. Yeah, it was dogs re really, uh, they, they were our stepping stone into full, full dogdom. <laughs> full dogness. Um, we love Big Barker. I got a great new process pup this week, Penny. Penny looked great. Love seeing pit bulls on the, uh, on the Big Barkers. Um, my wife works at the Brandywine Animal Center, and she's become a uh, Brandywine, I'm sorry, Brandywine Valley SPCA, um, and she's become a big pity, so big pit bull person. So anytime I see a big uh, pit bull on the Big Barker, I love it. They're the only real dog beds on the market. They're the only ones that are, uh, they got experts in there. They're like, all right, we got an a room full of experts. What are we going to do? They're going to say, well, I want you to engineer a dog bed that's going to support the dog's joints so the dogs are healthier, happier, more active, young, old, small, big. That's what we want you to do. The engineers got to work. The experts are fucking engineering and experting and all that stuff. And they're and all dogs. The big, they're all dogs, yes. <laughs> engineered by expert dogs. Um, they came up with the Big Barker dog bed. It's just, it's the best. And if you love your dog, you're going to get him a Big Barker. Go to rights to Ricky. No. Go to bigbarker.com slash Ricky. That's right. Bigbarker.com slash Ricky. Not only do you get the Big Barker, but you get two process pup patches. Do I have one here in my office so you can see it? Um, no, I think I gave it to Elliot. Um, Elliot Shore Parks over at IP got a, uh, a Big Barker, a bigbarker.com slash Ricky. I thought I had one here. Um, they're just really solid. Rebel's been sleeping on his for two years now, and I haven't, I honestly, I have a Tempur-Pedic for me, you know, that I sleep on, and you can notice year by year that it sort of gets a little bit lower. Rebel's been sleeping on the Big Barker for two years. I was looking at it yesterday, and it, there's been no foam flattening at all. Um, it's a legitimately, like, great product made by people that care about the dogs that will be sleeping on the beds, and you will not be disappointed. That's what I would say. Um, dog, there's a bed for every size from the Barker Jr. all the way up to the extra large big Barker. 10 year, at, ten year warranty, the foam doesn't flatten or they replace it for free. One year at home trial. If you don't like it, if your dog doesn't like it, they'll give you a full refund, they'll pay for the shipping. Handmade in the USA, big Barker dog bed. <laughs> Back to the Ricky. Mm -hmm. I, I agree with a lot of what you said, but let me offer this, um, this question, I guess. So 
I believe that, uh, so my day job is I run a sports radio station in Philadelphia and uh, we deal with teams all the time. And one of the things I've evolved that has evolved is, is what you've said for teams as opposed to players, you know, that they have their own platform and their platforms are very big and they have tons of, of followers on those platforms and they can message however they want on those platforms to tons and tons of people. That said, I don't believe that people see that message as um, as as having been like uh, there's no gatekeeper, right? And and they can say whatever they want, and they're obviously slanted to one side. And a player as well, absolutely can tweet whatever he wants, can Instagram whatever he wants, can read something in the uh, I always forget the name of this place. The Players uh, Tribune. Players Tribune. But I think we all read those things with a certain grain of salt, like the Players' Tribune things. And some of them are, are very, uh, are, are really good. And then some of them are like what I read for Gordon Hayward or the second Embiid one. And I'm like, eh, I don't know if I'm believing any of this. So aren't, aren't you selling short a little bit the ability of your, uh, aren't you selling short your ability to present them in a way that people believe that is not advertising or propaganda or slanted in a way that they trust Kevin Arnovitz and they would not write this in a way that they do not believe to be true as well. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I mean, I, I would never trust an unfiltered dispatch from a player or for that matter, a coach or anybody, or, uh, an influencer or, or a television star. That said, I mean, all right, so take a look at like Ethan Strauss's book which was mm -hmm. great, by the way. You should have Ethan on. Um, I thought what he did with The Victory Machine is really unique. Um, it's different than any kind of basketball book I've seen or, hey, let's, let's write about the recent champions. But part of that was, you know, he hung around enough so that, you know, Andre Iguodala said, hey, come into the Players' Lounge. I need to tell you something, right? Like, he was mm -hmm. actually there. I don't think those... And I think one of the things that makes his book so strong is exactly what you say. Uh, it can be trusted because it's raw, because it's real, because he's the fly on the wall. If there are no flies and there are no walls, that becomes harder. I agree with you. Like, um, I think fans would appreciate more the unfiltered, uh, or rather, the filtered, not so much filtered, the, you know, the judge in the chamber is really weighing the evidence about the claims of this player. Is he truly is, is sort of the great teammate he professes to be? Is he the great guy he professes to be? Um, you know, and, and also, you know, capturing some of the complexities that he, that he himself will not reveal to the world because, you know, people want to, as you say, you know, people want to varnish their image. But, yeah, I hear you. I absolutely believe that. I just don't know that it's going to be really doable. I, I right. just don't know that we will have, other than some hearsay, hey, you know, I'll be able to get a GM on the phone that after a player's gone from his team, he'll say, hey, get a load of this. Let me tell you about the time where he just lost his shit or he you know, left practice or how much time he was spending at the strip club, whatever it is, right? And I, I think, yeah, those stories will still be gettable. I agree with you. Like, I, I think we have value. I'm not saying that we don't have value. We have great value. I value what I do. I think I'm pretty good at it. Um, some days better than others. And I think, I, I think, you know, I don't want a world where the only form is memoir, you know, like I want. <laughs> yeah. um, and I agree with you, but I also just think that the plausibility of getting those stories is going to be harder and harder. For sure. Pivoting a little before we get into the Sixers, um, the NBA likes to fashion itself as like the most progressive league. Um, obviously, the players, huge celebrities, huge power, more so than any other league. Um, 
And what they care about, what matters to them, has to matter to the league. But the owners are very rich and very white and very male. And, uh, you know, a lot of them, or most of them maybe, uh, donate to candidates that are just, that, and causes that are distinctly at odds with what the players believe and are vocal about. Are we heading for a collision in that? Like most owners, maybe not James Dolan and a couple others, but most owners are saying the right things about uh, all the protests against police violence and divesting from the police and reinvesting in uh, education or healthcare or housing or things that would help marginalized communities um, more than mass incarceration and over-policing does. But how long will that last? Um, where the owners like behave and sort of take their cues from their employees or, or however they see it. Uh, how close are we to, to like another Donald Sterling situation? Um, I mean, perhaps, you know, I, I think that was a unique situation. I think there will be grumbling. I mean, all of us work for, I mean, not all of us, I, you know, we all have, many of us work for corporations whose political giving is at odds with ours, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I've become really cynical about this because, like, I mean, I'm not, look, players are absolutely authentic in their belief. They absolutely are. But I, I thought the LeBron China moment was very telling. Like, mm -hmm. you know, Adidas put up the day, you know, at, at, during, the, during the height of the protest, Adidas put up, if you went to their website, it was, you know, white letters on a black background, a very austere and, and quote, powerful message. Right. You know? Did anyone ask Adidas why they shut down their only factory in the U.S. in Atlanta back in November? You know, how, how many how many jobs that belong to African Americans did, did did that cost? I mean, do they care about those lives? No. Um, what I'd love to see are athletes with Adidas say, you know, I, you can make you know, thank you for the tributes, thank you for the lip service. Hey, you know, why don't you set up a manufacturing plant? in Damian Lillard's old neighborhood since you're capitalizing on the value of Damian Lillard. Because you know what yep. Oakland could use right now? You know what black lives in Oakland could use right now? Some freaking jobs that pay a wage and offer premium health care and pensions. And, you know, and it's just like, listen, I, or, or, I mean, what's the, I mean, are, are there going to be walkouts because Tillman Fertitta gives to Donald Trump or Greg Abbott or you know, some other shitbag politician. I mean, I don't know. I, will James Harden care? Maybe. Mm -hmm. um, did James Harden care about China? No. <laughs> like, I'm not saying there isn't some, uh, there is obviously authentic belief. I, look, some of these players are incredibly thoughtful and, in, and, and incredibly giving. Um, but I just don't think when the rubber hits the road, um, you know, also I think, they work for the shoe companies. They work for the teams a few months out of the year, but they really work for the shoe companies, right? I mean, that's where the value of a lot of these guys exists. And frankly, there are only so many players who have the leverage to really, you know, maybe punish an owner for his giving um, or, or his political uh, affiliations, right? I mean, how many guys are we really talking about? Or is the sixth man, you know, who's on a really good, you know, greater than mid-level deal, you know, going to walk out of Spurs practice you know, because the whole family has some questionable political affiliations. Maybe. I doubt it. Mm -hmm. well, sometimes we're expecting more out of athletes than we expect as our, of ourselves to be For sure. to your point. Like, you know, you're, you're, um, I, I work for a company that I, I, 
believe generally in, in what they care about socially, but I don't know every donation from every uh, corporate person, and I, I certainly don't. And, and like, you know, for us to sometimes say, we expect a lot more of them in a lot of ways, and one of them is like, well, I'm not going to work unless you change. Well, I'm not doing that. So, yeah. um, you know, so it's not always the same thing. Yeah. Um, and that's why it's so impressive when they do right. stand up. And, sure. and put their careers and bodies on the line for sure. for what they do believe. Yeah, and by the way, I don't want to make light of it. I, I just think that the majority, to your point, Spike, I think the majority of us go through life with the understanding we're going to transact business with people we think are assholes. Like, yeah. I, mean, it, I mean, that's what the system kind of requires. And you try to be selective about it. There are certain, you know, for instance, there are certain corporations whose, you know, anti-gay history keep me from affiliating with them. They're, they're far and few between. There are certain major retail establishments because of the way they treat their employees vis-a-vis healthcare. I will not shop at. Um, I will not mention them here. Uh, and I've made those small things. I am no hero. It's just, hey, I'm going to transact with assholes. That's part of life. And But there are a few people who exceed the boundaries of what I'm willing to do. And I think players are very similar in that way. And by the way, I don't think that means they lack conviction. You know, yeah. um, uh, you know, LeBron's done a ton of really good work. Would I love to see him sort of hold Nike's feet to the fire in, car, in regard to their labor? Yeah, I would love to see that. I think it would be a really cool statement um, that goes far and beyond some of the symbolic gestures he makes. So, um, Mike, if you're okay, I was going to pivot to Sixers. To the Sixers. To the Sixers. So uh, we have been, um, and I'll show to the, those who are watching on YouTube, the, the nice thing that Brett Brown sent us uh, <laughs> after we had him on our pod. Just, hey, thanks. You know, make sure still be a good guy. But uh, we've, been, we've been very big Brett Brown guys from the beginning. Mostly so, even if we, we, we don't totally agree with everything, we agree that like the, the issues that he's had to deal with are bigger than coaching. That said, about like three weeks ago on the podcast, I, I had seen that uh, Ime Odoka was a the, the top candidate for the Bulls. And I got panicked all of a sudden. And I was like, you know what? I think Brett's going to get fired anyway. Like, I, unless they get to the finals, I think he's gone. Just do it now and hire Odoka so we don't lose him. So I guess two questions from this. One, because uh, I saw that the, the, a really extensive piece you did on ESPN.com about all of the different coaching candidates, and Udoka was in there. One, uh, what do you hear about him from a from an NBA standpoint as a as like a as a future head coach? And two, I guess what do you think of that? What do you think the odds that Brett Brown is the coach next year, and 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 the the chance that Udoka could succeed him in Philadelphia? Um, I, I think Brett's return is very much tied, obviously, and I'm not breaking news here, to their performance in the postseason, provided right. we have a full postseason. So I, I think that's, that's, that's a big thing. I think, I think he is at risk of losing his job. I don't think that would come as a shock to him, uh, the, the front office, the team, the players, or anybody else. Um, that signal's been emanating from Sixers uh, folks for, for quite a while. Um, and, and by the way, like it, it would not be, I, I would hate to see him lose his job. I think he's a really good coach. I think he's an amazingly decent person. Um, I think it's a very flawed roster and he's done very well with it. Um, that said, it, if, if let's say they did lose in the first or second round, that, that would very much fall within the standards. Many teams in the past who had championship aspirations, um, would set for, hey, do we need to fire this guy? Um, I think Adoka would be a favorite. 
um, provided you know, maybe the, the Bulls don't don't or, or any of those teams don't act more quickly. Uh, we don't know what the Bulls are going to do yet. Um, I think that that's also the case. They seem I, I hear very conflicting information about you know what their plans are this off season. Um, and by the way, I mean Spike, I, look. It, the truth of the matter is we never know how good any of these guys are going to be. Like, we right. just don't know. Fred Hoiberg was supposed to be the second coming, right? Like, I mean, how many guys have we seen just – that doesn't mean Udoka won't be a great coach. He might be – I mean, I don't know. Maybe he's the second coming of Lenny Wilkins or, or, you know, or Greg Popovich. I don't know. But I think sometimes we vest – I mean, the idea that actually we should, you know – jettison a guy now because we might lose the opportunity in assistant you know i mean one of, one of the interesting things is when i do these these pieces every year and i talk to like a zillion gms head coaches agents players um i mean one of the things they sell is is like an nba assistant coach we think we know like everybody john Huster was going to be the next chuck daly we don't even remember that guy anymore like the hardest thing to do is to discern how good an nba assistant coach is how much of the success of the team or this guy's development is attributable to him and how much of it isn't um in fact i think it's one of the reasons you're seeing more and more guys hey get the jobs who had d-league or you know, experience as right. head coaches because it's just a better barometer of what he can do. I think it's why you're seeing these guys run off to, you know, secondary and tertiary countries to be a coach of their national team because it gives them not just a resume item, but it gives them a chance to sort of show, uh, just to display a style or a sensibility of what they might be a head coach. So if a GM's looking, they can say, oh, he did a really nice job with the Georgian national team or whatever. So, I mean, look, Udoka may be a genius. He might be mediocre. You know, he might be Greg Popovich. He might be Jacques Vaughn. Like, who knows? Um, but I don't think you would make a decision on Brett based on, oh, fuck, we're going to lose Ime if we don't fire Brett promptly or something. I, I just, there are other, the bus is leaving the station. There'll be another one coming along. The Rice and Ricky Sanchez podcast is brought to you by our guy, L.L. Pavorsky. Our guy. L.L. Pavorsky Jewelers. Yes, our dude. Can I read you a text I got from LL last night? Please. Let me find it. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Where is the Lee text? I know I got it. Where the fuck is it? Hold on. Oh, there it is. Um, hold on. Number 178 Wednesday, number 179 today. Wow, back to back. Yep. 179 Writes Ricky Sanchez, listeners have purchased engagement rings from L.L. Pavorsky. We are back, he says. Have a great weekend. And um, I don't know if we're supposed to disclose this, but Missy, who is L.L.'s daughter, is babysitting Puff Andy's kids this summer because their camp was canceled. Oh, my God. I didn't know that. My niece and nephew being babysat (laughs) by a Pavorsky? As long as it's not Jake. Missy's great. As long as it's yeah, not Yeah, Missy is great. Yep. Uh, we keep it all happy and safe in the RTRS family. He <laughs> says, we are like the Amish. <laughs> and then he said, your Father's Day pod was one of my favorites. Um, yada, yada, yada. So uh, love L.L. Pavorsky. Um, yeah, the, the crew on the trips is always Puff Andy, L.L., and, uh, and Steve McDonald, another listener who becomes like L.L.'s wingman. Um, LL has 
as, as I just said, sold 179 engagement rings to rights to Ricky Sanchez listeners. Just a fabulous guy that sells a great product and does it honestly uh, at a great price. And that's really all that you're asking for. And really, when you're buying an engagement ring, you don't really know what you're looking at. You get the wrong jeweler, they could sell you a fake diamond. How are you going to know? I would never know. Mike, if you bought a fake diamond, would you have any idea? Not a clue. Not a clue. But LL is not going to send you any fake, sell you any fake diamonds. The store is open um, by appointment only, 215-627-2252. He's at 707 Walnut. Make yourself an appointment. If you're not comfortable going out in public, that is totally fine. Uh, give him a call or shoot him an email, lee at llpavorsky.com. He'll do the appointment with you uh, online, video. That way you can look at everything that you want. Um, just a fabulous guy that, uh, that we are proud to have as a sponsor and has donated to our charities now for four years, something like that. Um, this year, coded by kids in the Providence Animal Center. L.L. Pavorsky Jewelers. Missy Pavorsky Child Care. She'll dress your kids up in L.L. suits. <laughs> Fact of the pod. Do you have a sense of, because we can all see that it's a bad fit. We all see that the fit of Val Horford and the current Sixers team is not Right. But do you have a sense of what the front office thought that the offense would look like and that in their mind, whether that's Elton or other powers that be, what Brett is doing or not doing that's preventing that from happening? I mean, it's hard to say. I, I think there's a sense kind of, you know, having conversations. You know, Horford's a really – he's been a really interesting high-efficiency player, Right. He is a guy that if you want a defense that is just long and switchy. I mean, I, I, I used to say this, that Al Horford was one of the 10 best perimeter defenders in the league, and I meant it, right? Like, I mean, you saw it in Atlanta, you saw it in Boston. And so you start there, like, this is the defensive identity. Guy, guy is so freaking versatile. You put him with Simmons, you know, and a lanky guy like Richardson and obviously Embiid and, 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 and Tobias, who's sort of other-sized or whatever, and, like, it makes a ton of sense. Also, you know... For an offense that's had rigor mortis at times, playing at the high post, Al has been really, really effective over the course of his career. He also shoots, what, 36, 37, 38%. So you'll figure out to make it work. I mean, I'm not crazy about loading up a roster with fours who actually are fives disguised as fours, but I kind of get it. It wouldn't have been my choice for an allocation of resources, particularly like for three guaranteed years. Um, but I, like, I can get it um this team has always been offensively a little bit iconoclastic by necessity they're just it's always been kind of a weirdo offense and i don't mean that pejoratively like the way you know quinn snyder's offense in utah was you know prior to to mitchell showing up and getting some some spacing there you know it was just we can win this we can win this through misdirection and movement and smarts and like al's a ridiculously smart player and so like i kind of get it even though i don't think it's optimal but, you know, it makes a little bit of sense. You know, you say five disguised as fours. Don't forget the uh, fours disguised as threes, the ones disguised as fours, the threes disguised as twos. Right. <laughs> like, it's an entire roster of players playing out of position. It's, it's, you know, we talked ourselves into it beforehand, and I remember Zach uh, Lowe had them as their finals favorites. And I look back on it, and I just think to myself, like, how did we... How did we, and I, I, I had some misgivings, but I talked myself into it as well. How did we not see the issues that were going to arise? Um, I guess we didn't know that Ben Simmons was 
still not going to shoot. But it just seems amazing to me that we didn't see from the beginning that there were going to be as many issues as they as there were. I mean, and I'm not making excuses. I'm certainly not. I mean, if you want to kind of play the other way, you know, Simmons has missed time. Richardson's has missed time and has basically just been offensively kind of pretty terrible. Um, you know, there is no stretch. There's no one on this team who shoots 40% from three. Uh, I mean, I didn't have them as a finals picks, and I, I just I thought they were a very good team. I thought they would be top five defensively. They've been sixth, and I thought mm-hmm. they'd be between ten and fifteen offensively. They've been like what sixteenth, seventeenth, and by the way, like a, a three game winning streak from being twelfth. I mean, I, you know, I, right. I don't know. Um, you know, they're not terrible, and uh, you know, I, I I do think yeah. I, it's really hard to win in this league without spacing. It's such an easy thing to say, and it's an easy thing to say because it's true. Like, I just don't know how you can replace, you know, Redick with Richardson, how you sort of, you know, Sarich for whatever he was and, and whoever else, you know, Cove for all of his offensive flaws and, and kind of, you know, questionable handle. Like, I just think there were... It was a wheel that moved. You could generate spacing through movement. You could generate spacing just through spacing. And, like, none of that exists. Because the truth is, is if you put Al in the corner, yeah, you've got spacing. And you also, you know, you compromise everything he's really good at, which is a brand of offense that runs, you know, kind of Jokic, uh, you know, high post, you know, sensible decision-making, deliberate but not stiff, kind of Al Horford. You know, the offense in Atlanta that was ranked not number one or number two, but six and seven consistently. Is the the, the front office uh, whispers about, or not even whispers sometimes, but like, we're built for the playoffs. We're built for the playoffs. Let us be the playoffs. Embiid has clearly not been 100% this year. And it seems that is intentional um you didn't put Embiid despite the uh um his the metrics defensively he's not on your all defensive teams because he just didn't look right he didn't look like he was giving it all the way there and by the way he's the third best defensive center in the league like I'm putting him in the top 10 percentile everyone a lot of times people see that as an insult no 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 I yeah no and I got you I got you I got you I agree with you because it's just you could tell that there's like he's just a little lagging a little bit do you believe that they're a that they're a playoff team that that can just like be big enough and physical enough to swallow the other offenses up, and maybe Ben can just run out and transition enough to get offense, and and Embiid can get fouled enough to get offense, and they can actually be a, a force in the playoffs? Or do you not buy that at all? I totally buy that. I mean, Milwaukee's better than everybody. Toronto has outperformed everybody, and. But I don't know that they're decidedly better than the Celtics, the Sixers, and probably maybe the Heat are right in there. I mean, God, the Heat just confound me because they're mm-hmm. so good some nights. Um, but yeah, totally. I think they could win a series with Boston. I think they would probably beat Miami or Indiana. Um, I think they could give Toronto. Hell, they gave. Well, it's last year's team, so I don't. I don't, I don't think yeah. you can even draw parallels. What they do is so different now. I mean, not so different, but measurably different. What would you say that the Sixers' bread and butter offensive play is this year? Because <laughs> last year, past, past years, it was run out? And Bede. Yeah, a run yeah. out because it's not the dribble handoff Embiid Redick anymore, no. right? Like I don't really—I yeah. know it's going to sound weird. I don't really know. I felt like 
guys, I felt like I knew that incarnation of the Sixers like the back of my hand. I, and part of it, I, I covered them a lot. Part of it, I, you know, I came to town a lot. Um, you know, I had conversations with, with their staff to kind of understand what they were doing. Part of it is I also, like, I have this funny thing, which is when I like what a team does, I will start watching them more. And I have to tell you, like, I've watched a little less Sixers this year because it's just not as interesting to me. Uh, and I don't mean that as an insult. It's just like... Well, you can mean it as an insult. It's been fucking terrible. No, it's I like, mean, you like, know, it's like my favorite yeah. restaurant chain chefs. And do I go there yeah. as often? No, because it's like I miss the old stuff. And, um, and you know, again, that, that sort of, that 2-5 DHO... Um, uh, just yeah. Reddick provides an, uh, you know, Reddick provides an offense so much structure. I mean, Doc used to talk about that all the time. Was did he think Reddick was his best player? No. Did he think Reddick was his second best player? No. But what he thought Reddick was is just kind of a structural genius. Like it was just hey, it just kind of like Ray Allen. Like you, it it is such a comfortable old shoe to an offense when you have something like that, and it's like. You know, what are you doing? Is, is, is Richardson going to initiate offense on or off the ball? No. Right. Simmons obviously can initiate offense, but in a very particular way. Um, Tobias can sort of initiate offense, but I don't think it like it does, is Tobias a guy who makes four guys better. Probably no. not. I like Tobias. I think mm -hmm. Tobias is a nice player. I, I just, you know, and, uh, you know, and it's also I think there was a real. You know, I think there's always this struggle with Brett and Joel. Not not conflict, but just, like, how are we going to use this guy? Like, because I think it offends Brett's sensibilities, and I think it offends NBA sensibilities to throw it into the post to a guy more than maybe nine or ten times a night, right? Um, it's why, frankly, you know, the Spurs look like crap, you know, because, I mean, I mean, this Aldridge. I mean, do you want, do you want LaMarcus Aldridge? Or do you want Joel Embiid? You know, it's just like, I don't know. I couldn't tell you. I honestly couldn't tell you. I got to be honest with you. I, I try to go so many. We, we've had such a nice break from, from the Sixers. And you, they really fucked it up, Kevin. Like, like you mentioning all these players that they had that were less expensive, expensive than the players that they do have. And all they needed to do was find a way to add rather than, I, I just... You mentioned Dario, you mentioned Covington, you mentioned Redick, and I just, I am hard-pressed to look at the lineup now and say, if, if to your point, Josh, Josh Richardson's a nice player, I love him, uh, Tobias Harris is a nice player, um, all of these things. If they had just done nothing, I, I just think they would be better. I like the the between the roster consistency and the players that they had and that they didn't trade Shamit, like they did all of these things to try to push everything forward. And I got the Butler trade, even though I wasn't a Butler guy. I understood why they did it. Yeah, so did but I. they yeah. they they just kept doubling down and doubling down and I, I just I'm I think about this and now I'm mad again that they that they moved on from any of that. It just seems like they were better if they didn't do anything. Right. Or or you know, I mean, I know he's hurt now, so it'd be easy to say, although you can run a parallel universe. You know, do you spend $17 million on Bagdanovich? Right. You know, I mean, you talk about a guy 3-4 uh, rather than on, on, on Al. And, and I like Al. I, I, just, I, I just wonder, um, you know, do you flip Richardson or whatever it is? I mean, do you go out and get, you know, do you spend on Danny Green? Um, right. You know who who I think fits your personnel. By the way, a guy you know who fits your personnel defensively, um, great transition defender, 
um, can space, can provide, he won't provide Reddick-esque structure, but there is something about a two who can do what he does. Um, you know, you can run stuff, <laughs> you run those flare screens and let, you know, Simmons fucking dive off that. Like, I, I just think there's, although Danny can't dribble, but um, anyway, yeah, I guess you could, you can play the counterfactuals and I, I do think there are probably things they could do. And, and I feel shitty because I'm on that Al Horford, you know, like that Rob Mahoney, Zach, me, like the Al Horford truthers. I am an Al Horford yeah. truther. So yeah. I almost feel like disloyal talking like this. Do you think he has like, I mean, is he tapped? Like, is, is, is it just over for Al or do you think there's more there? I, mean, I think there's a little more there. I just think it, you know, I, I just, it, it's just, it, it's, as you say, it's sort of an ill fit because he's a five and Bede's a five. Harris is a four, you know, I mean, honestly, functionally, sometimes Simmons is a four, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like, so it's just, and okay, well, let's space him. Well, now he's just a, I mean, is he Bruce Bowen? Like, like what, you know, so what, what exactly are you getting? Like you're, are you, you're at once not able to address your need, which is spacing, but simultaneously not able to, you know, capitalize on his strengths, which is not necessarily spacing. So it's just this conundrum. Is is there ultimately a way for some coach, whether it's Brett or someone else, to make Simmons and Embiid work on the offensive end? Because defensively, they're excellent. Like, they're they're both phenomenal. Simmons is one of the most versatile defenders I've ever seen. Embiid is the most, like, instinctual rim protector I've ever seen. People just don't go to the rim when he's on the court. Uh, but on offense, is there enough there to figure it out, or will Simmons need to become a, you know, will he have to do the Jason Kidd thing and, no. and become an actually good shooter? No, I think surround them with shooters or you have your two, three, four men and two of them should be shooters. <laughs> you know, two of them should look like shooters. Um, you know, again, I, you know, I mentioned like a Bogdanovich. I mean, that guy's semi expensive, but you know, that was a guy, I mean, Redick, you know, I, I understand there were sort of contractual and, and, and sort of, you know, issues there to sort of make it fit within the, the spreadsheet. But like that was a shooter. Um, I, I don't think that because everyone's like, do you break them up? And I'm like, for what? Do I break right. them up? Do I trade Ben Simmons for Giannis Antetokounmpo? Yes, I do. Do I trade Ben Simmons for a couple of guys on Phoenix? No. Like, I, I don't... Everyone always looks at it like it's this... Like, I'd break anything up. I mean, you're, you're talking about a transaction, and the answer is, is, like, is there value for the exchange? And, like, Simmons and Embiid are a really good tandem. I think they could be surrounded by more appropriate talent um, that would better accentuate their strengths but i don't know that like can any coach get like yeah i mean i I just think it's i mean it's really they're such a unique tandem i mean simmons is just confounding and i don't mean confounding like i can't figure him out he's good he's bad like i just i just i can't is there anybody like him with that you know the same collection of strengths and weaknesses like i just can't in size and temperament i like i love his competitiveness i don't think like the whole simmons is a dick yeah give me some of that like i don't like you know i remember talking to um you know a coach on atlanta when schroeder was sort of getting a reputation and there was sort of a teague schroeder who's your point guard of the future and i remember saying yeah but schroeder's such an asshole apparently they're like yeah that's good (laughs) Like, and I remember like not and from a coaching standpoint, yeah, I mean, this coach's belief is if you had to be an asshole to be a good point guard in the NBA, like you had to be Chris Paul, you had to be Ben Simmons, you had to be a like Tony Parker was a dick, you know, and, and that, that was actually, <laughs> that was a feature, not a bug for NBA point guard. Yeah. Last well, question. You, you can, you can pick one of the two, the 76ers 
get to the finals this year, the 76ers lose in the first round, what is more likely? I'm probably losing in the first round. Like, think about it. To get to the finals, yeah. it's three wins, the third of which is against Milwaukee. So, I mean, I mean, I would say that for every team other than Milwaukee. In, okay. and in fact, gotcha. I might say for every team other than Milwaukee and even – well, I also, I think the playoffs are going to be insane. I think without home court advantage, with the break, guys coming back, guys – not playing like i think it's going to be like the idea of like most nba playoffs are chalk for the most part yeah yeah and i think it's going to look like one of those regionals where it's like the six versus the nine and the one versus the five and the you know whatever in the in the, in the five in the regionals like i i honestly think it's going to be madness and no pun intended it's just nothing i think we could see some top two seeds out in the first round i think we could see some sixes get to the finals i think it's going to be which is going to be really interesting but i think and aren't uh, those yeah. the perfect combination for the of, sixers of insane exactly yes <laughs> isn't that, isn't <laughs> that the, insanity yes. right up our alley that is by the way winners and losers of that dynamic loser milwaukee bucks los angeles lakers you know Denver Nuggets, winners, Oklahoma City Thunder, like <laughs> Philadelphia 76ers, Miami Heat. You know, like, I just absolutely, I think the conditions are so much better for the Sixers in this environment. Provided, I'd like to see them get, I know, oh, they match up well against the Celtics. I don't want any part of the Celtics. Like, give me Indiana or, or Miami. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, we appreciate you spending so much time and legitimizing us. Uh, like, it's been a, again, it's been a wild offseason. Tons of musicians, bowlers, and then uh, and then an actual um, NBA writer. So One I of my very that. favorite people in the NBA, Kevin Arnovitz. You guys are awesome. I, I loved being on there. Let's make this like an annual, semi-annual thing. Yeah, that sounds absolutely. Great. Thank you, Kevin. We'll talk soon. Well, you know, I didn't plan on Kevin Arnovitz spending the first seven minutes talking about how awesome we were, but I, I didn't really want to stop him really at any point the so, best the best guy yeah he is awesome he was awesome uh it was so funny uh i remember when we had pablo tori on having heard somebody's voice for so long and then on the pod and talking to them it reminds me of what people say about the radio but it was i've heard him so many times on with zach or low or something and then to have him on the pod was really cool he was great yeah um all right mike's uh and patrick's script for Brotherly Love, available now, $5 only, goes to uh, Coded by Kids in the Providence Animal Center, and then doubled by Touchstone Electric Fireplaces. All to charity. None, All to none charity. for us, Brian. None. Yeah, fucker. And then, um, oh, we didn't even talk about that article. I feel like we got to save that for Wednesday, oh, I guess. Oh, get Patrick ready to talk about that <laughs> article. Um, and, uh, and that's it. Thank you to Kevin for coming on. Thank you for listening. Are you down with TTP? Yeah. You know, look face. If you don't fuck with me, then I won't fuck with you. If you don't fuck with me, then I won't fuck with you. If you don't fuck with me, then I won't fuck with you. If you don't fuck with me, but if you fuck with me, I'm gonna fucking kill you! Fuck the friend.